All right. Who's got a real Bible here this morning? Anybody? Like, there's one over there. Like, oh, yeah. Like, uh, it's fine. It's like, it's not a, there's no prizes, but, um, but well, well done. Um, I was uh, at Melbourne uh, two or three weeks ago. I went to the Vineyard uh, Leaders Conference over there, and Phil Strout was speaking. He's a guy who's the national director of the Vineyard Churches in the States. And uh, he just said something quite interesting there, he, and he was talking about the Bible, and he, he said, you know, there's... I'm really, really nervous about the, uh, the future of, of, our, um, of our faith in the Western world with regards to, uh, to the Bible. He, he was you know, talking about, like, I'm, I'm nervous that, uh, that people are, are starting to let go of the value of our, our holy scriptures. And you could see possibly why we're in this world today, there's... Uh, there's a huge push towards like it, it you know like all all religions are the same by by a lot of people there's uh there's a huge push by uh by minority groups to say that you know we we've we need our uh we've got rights and we need to be heard and a lot of those those groups uh have beliefs that uh would be contrary to what the bible teaches as the right way to 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 live and to and to do to do life and uh, there is a, uh, a more and more acceptance of just looser and looser and looser you know sexual activity in our, in our world and uh, which again would would go against the the wisdom and counsel of our of our scriptures and and people are starting to go like maybe the Bible's you know not that uh, not that relevant anymore and. Um, and this was what he was saying. He's saying that you know, he's, he's genuinely nervous that the church is going to let go of this, um, this uh, commitment and love of the Bible. And I just wanted to, to tell you this morning as we get uh, into things this morning, I wanted to tell you what, what I believe. And I believe that, that this, the Bible that we have, the Holy Scriptures that we have, that they are God-breathed, that they are, they are life-giving, that they are powerful for... Uh, for life changing they 're just full of guidance and hope and encouragement and and wisdom and I want us to be a people that that fall in love with the Bible like it I, let me just I just wrote this thing down um, even just um, this week you 'd be pleased to know that your your pastor reads the Bible um, so just was in, in, in one of the Gospels. The Gospels, if you're, if you're not that familiar with the Bible, there's four accounts of the life of Jesus, and they're called the Gospels, which is another word for good news. And there's a guy called Mark. He wrote one of those Gospels. And in, in Mark chapter 8, this is what I read. It was in the message translation of the Bible, and it said this, Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, this is Jesus, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? And it's just, just that's just on Thursday, just bringing everything back to like, this is the right perspective of life. This is just bringing life back into perspective. So we're going to start a new series today, and we're going to be going through 
the book of Colossians, which is this tiny little book. When you say a book, the Bible's a book. There's books in the Bible. I know it's confusing. But Colossians was a, a letter. If you're, again, if you're, most people read the Bible, a lot of people read the Bible on electronic devices and things now. So, and if you're, again, if you're not that familiar with the Bible, you've got these four stories of Jesus' life, which are about three quarters of the way through the Bible. And then you've got the end of the Bible and somewhere in between the Gospels and the end of the Bible, you've got Colossians. So you should be able to find it, okay? You'll be able to track that down. So we're going to be looking at, um, at Colossians. But before we do that, I wanted to set a bit of the scene because I know that uh, when a lot of people read the Bible, they, a lot of it's just like, Where, where's this place and, and what's going on? And, and, uh, and so we're just going to get a bit of a grid for this here. And I've got this. Um, now, I know that a lot of um, people use laser pointers but all the cool pastors are using these now, okay? Okay, this might look like a broomstick handle, but these are really expensive. You get them at Christian bookshops in the pastors only section, okay? And we're gonna be using this. Okay, just wanted to get that clear. Um, so, so we read in the book of Acts, which is the story of the church after Jesus' death and resurrection. We read about the followers of Jesus and how they have this incredible encounter with God's Spirit. And it sweeps through them and it fills them with boldness and with power and with love and with hope and, uh, and just this new awareness of, the, of God's presence and, and power with them. And, uh, and what happens is that a number of them, they just started to stand up and start to talk to people about Jesus started to talk to them and about this new life. We sang about it. We sang about that exact same thing this morning, this new life. And Elise talked about it with, um, as we were heading into communion together. This new life, this forgiveness, this new hope. Whoa, what's happening? Okay, all right. If you were planning on doing that subtly, it didn't work. So. <laughs> all right. That's actually probably the right thing. Just get out there and, uh, and make it happen. So... Um, I'm starting to feel like a um, like Gandalf or something here. Right? Um, um, but this new life, this forgiveness, new hope for for people. It was like the spring flowers after after the season of winter, and this this new age had begun with Jesus, where the living God doing new things in in the world. And uh, and the message was, and it begins with you. It begins with you. Peter says in Acts. Two, he says, this promise is for you, for you and your family, your children, and for everyone who is far away. This is for you. This is good news, good news for everyone. And in a really short time, this good news, it's, it's where it started in Jerusalem and, and then spread throughout Israel, and it began spreading throughout the, uh, the whole known world. And there was a guy called Paul the Apostle, and if you've you know, familiar with the Bible, you'll be familiar with, with Paul. He was this incredible man that had an incredible encounter with God and comes to faith and comes to believe Jesus is everything that we'd hoped for. This is the Savior of the, of the world. And he was a wonderfully educated man, wonderfully uh, competent teacher, a very intelligent guy. And he started to, to travel and talk to people about Jesus. 
So you're thinking, like, what is this? Come on, Colossians, Colossians. We're going to get there. Okay, so I'm just getting a bit of a, a framework here. He did these, uh, these three huge trips. Well, the first one wasn't so huge, but then he got, you know, he got more and more. And I've got some slides here. So this is, so, so whenever you get maps of uh, historic uh, times, they always look like school, things come out of a school textbook. Eh? But like, so I know you can't see down the bottom here. Down the bottom here is Africa. Does anyone know what this country is here today? Greece. Yes. And uh, this country here? Turkey. Well done, everybody. All right. So, so what we've got is, um, is Paul started off. Here's, here's Israel down here. Egypt's down here. Libya's over there. And this, this, is, this is Turkey. So, so Paul starts off in this red line, and he does this little trip through there, punches into uh, into Turkey. Turkey hasn't been called Turkey that long. So back when you read about that in the Bible, it's called Asia Minor. Okay? Yeah, I've always, I know. I've always wondered where Asia Minor was. So see this thing? Oh, let me just tell you a few other interesting places. Um, this is Troy. You've heard about Troy? Eh? You've seen those movies? So that's a real place. That's a real place, Troy. And uh, those battles really happened. So this is uh, Gallipoli was just up here. Um, this is the Dardanelles, this is the Sea of Marmara, this is the Black Sea. No, this is, this is the Bosporus Strait, I think. Istanbul's just there. So see this gap here? So in, in ancient times, this was kind of Asia, and this was the kind of the cutting point off, and that was Europe. So when Paul eventually got over here, he was saying, and he talked about Lydia who got saved in Philippi, and Philippi is just like there. Oh, it's actually there. <laughs> it's actually written down. So... Um, and that was, he talks about Lydia was the first Christian, uh, first person to become a Christian in Europe. It's because they jumped across this line here and, and up into there. So, so there's a few interesting things. Um, Ephesus is again, if you're, uh, that's just right there, right on the coast. Um, it used to be right on the coast, but now it's a long way from the coast because um, as harbors fill in. So, all right, you still with me? Still going? Second missionary journey, let's throw that up here. And then he got like really, just started getting flying around. So again, Here's Ephesus here, but you can see he's punched over to, into Europe here and into Greece and all through here, Athens here. And then the third one, third missionary journey, and then he just, he just gets around. Paul gets around. Um, so, um, so why I'm saying all this is that you want to, like, the book of Colossians was written to a church in a place called Colossae. Now, some people call it Colossi, some people call it Coloss. You can call it whatever you like. Um, I'll, I'll call it Colossae. But that's just like, that's like about 150 k's inland from Ephesus. It's just in here somewhere. So right in the middle of Turkey. Okay? All right. And uh, they've done a huge amount of archaeological digs on so many uh, of the Roman cities and, Roman, and places from back in historical times. And there's just, you can see incredible amphitheaters and uh, ruins and like of uh, uh, all, the co all the columns and, and just wonderful things. This is what the archaeological uh, ruins of Colossae look like now. So they haven't done that much. <laughs> so if you're ever like looking for like some interesting artifacts, you could sneak out there at night with a spade. You'll probably find all sorts of things. But um, yeah, you just go there now. It's just a big... Just a field, you know, sheep. There's not a lot going on. But um, so is that helpful? A little bit helpful? So you know kind of where, where we're going there? 
Um, let me talk about the, how it all sort of, of uh, this letter that Paul wrote to uh, the Colossians happened. Let me just get back to where I am here. So, All right, so you remember Ephesus, which was on the coast? So, and, and Paul touched base on Ephesus on his second missionary journey and on his third missionary journey. And in one of those missionary journeys, he actually stayed there for about two years because people were so open to hearing the gospel. Now, Ephesus was right on the coast. It was right on this, this trade route that came right across from uh, what is now Iraq and, and, the, and over in Asia, over in the, the east. And Ephesus, they came across overland and Ephesus was one of the, the big ports there. So people were coming and going all the time. And he just found that, that every day there was new people that he could talk to about Jesus. He, he actually rented like a, like a school hall. And, uh, and just every day was just telling people about Jesus. And, and while he was there, there's uh, a chap uh, that came and heard the message was a guy called Epaphras. And um, interesting name. Um, if you've you know, got kids on the way, you might want to consider that for um, your son. Uh, Epaphras. Um, what do you think, Melita? What do you think? <laughs> no, they got the red card. Uh, so, uh, but Epaphras heard this message of Jesus and uh, and believed. He and he goes, I'm, this is everything that I, I I'd ever hoped for. I want to follow this Jesus. And uh, not only did he become a believer, but uh, but Paul the apostle saw something in him, and and he said like, let's and he trained him. Uh, to, to, to be a church planter. And, and Epaphras stayed with him. He, he learned theology. He learned uh, you know, uh, about what it means to be a pastor um, because Epaphras was from Colossae. And eventually he went back to the place where he, he came from to tell them about Jesus and to start a church. And, um, and as I was putting this together, I was just thinking, you know what, there may be, may well be people here this morning that are from a place, you know, down the road or up the road, and that it may be that that God is calling you into that, that that will be something that you, you step into, uh, is actually going back to the place where you grew up, that you came from and to, to establish a, a church there, a place where people can, um, can find God and to find faith. And, and if that's you, like I tell you, for Jacinda and I, as pastors of this church, we, will, you know, we just love pouring everything God's given us into, into people that uh, have got a heart to serve God in, in, in all sorts of different ways. So we would love to see that happen. So, um, and um, Whangarei is about 150 kilometers from here, so... You know, so. So, so this church, so Epaphras goes back, he starts telling people about Jesus, and they go, this is incredible, this is wonderful. The church grows and, uh, and is going really well. Um, but often, what often happens when people get together and they're trying to work out their journey of faith uh, is that they get people's thoughts and ideas from all sorts of different places mixed in, and then it can somehow get a bit messy. And Epaphras could see people coming in with ideas about spiritualism and other gods, and they were just mixed. It was all getting mixed up all together. And he's going like, "This does, this isn't right." And, and but I just don't have the, 
I don't, I don't know how to help these people work this out. I better go and find my mentor, Paul, and ask for his help. And so he heads back uh, to Ephesus, and Paul is actually in Ephesus, but not, this time not in, a, not in a hall preaching. He's actually in prison. He's, uh, he's ended up, uh, by preaching the, the message of the gospel of Jesus, has is, is offended so many people because... And a lot of the people, a lot of the businessmen really he offended because he was, um, they were busy selling um, idols and gods and different things. And, and when someone comes along and says, like, those aren't real gods at all, then it affected their business. And, you know, when it comes to money, people start to get angry. And so they ended up getting Paul thrown into, um, into prison. And uh, so Epaphras comes and visits him and he's in prison. And, and while he was in prison, there's... There's four letters that were written in that uh, in our um, scriptures in the New Testament that uh, are called the prison letters because Paul uh, heard of different things that were happening in these different churches that he planted in these different journeys, and he uh, he says I've I've got to help these churches and bring some clarity to some things because they're going good with some things, but then there's a, a number of things that aren't going so good, and so. Uh, he heard what Epaphras you know, came and talked to him about, and also um, Timothy uh, had visited and, and, uh, and was talking to him about some of the things that were happening, and Paul says, I've got to, I've got to write a letter and, uh, and help these guys out. So, so that's, what, that's where this letter of Colossians came. It, it, he says in Colossians that he's, he says, um, make sure that the church in Laodicea, which is about uh, just 13 kilometers up the road uh, from Colossae, uh, make sure that those guys read this letter and make sure you read their letter. Now, we don't have the letter that was written to Laodicea's church, so we've just got, to, we've got, but we've got this one, and this one is incredible. So, uh, and a, t- a lot of people are saying that, that Colossians is this one letter that Paul wrote that is almost most relevant to us today in our modern you know, technological age where you know we're in this information age where people can get access to any bit of information that they can and they're also getting information thrown at them from all sorts of different places. Such potential for like people's beliefs and ideas to be this mixture of things that are coming from all over the planet. And he's you know that, that Colossians is this is this book that comes down and Paul's just coming and pointing them back to Jesus. And again, it was just so cool just singing that song this morning, you know, about um, about Jesus. This, what a powerful name it is! What a beautiful name it is, because this is the heart of this uh, this letter. So, so let's get into it. Actually, I'd love to just pray. Father, I just invite your Spirit here, God. Let, just I know that every time we gather, every time we have open hearts to you, God, you'll plant in us, God, good things, God. You'll you'll bring challenge. You'll bring enlightenment. You'll bring. You'll bring hope. You'll bring understanding. You'll bring wisdom, uh, and we just we just open our hearts. You'll bring comfort, God. You'll bring hope, God, for everyone's in different places. God, I just pray through this time together that you would speak to us and give us words that are going to take us forward and on into all the goodness that you have for us. Amen. All right. So, so you can see Paul actually says why he's writing the letter. In Colossians 1.28, he's, he's talking about that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. I'm going to put that down so I don't gandalf around the place. Um, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's just the heart of the pastor. He just could see this, this young church and he's saying, 
I just want us all to be like to grow to mature in Christ as we as much as um, into the fullness and then again in Colossians 2 verse 2 he, he talks about that he wants you to be encouraged in heart united in love and to know Christ he says my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, it sounds like just nice words, but this is like, this is incredible. So this is why Paul is writing this letter. I want to encourage your heart. I want to make sure that you're united in love. And I want you to know Christ. I want you to know Christ. Okay, let's go from the start. Colossians 1.1, 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Just a great start, isn't it? You know, wouldn't you love some big spiritual heavyweight to write it to our church and, and say that? You know, just guys are doing so well. You guys are doing so well. He's just talking about how thankful he is that this gospel, this good news that has, is being spread all around the known world and in Colossae as well, and that it's, it's taking hold and it's good things are coming from it. And it's, it's just in Colossae, just as it is everywhere so thankful and he talks about how he's thankful for their faith in Christ the love for God's people which comes from this eternal hope that they have and Paul calls this fruit he calls this fruitfulness that comes from the understanding of God's grace fruitfulness, he says I love that I see fruit So what he's saying is that this is what happens. So when you hear the good news and you truly understand God's grace, which is that freely given forgiveness for sin and, the, and the, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit, he's saying that we just can't help but grow in faith and love. We just can't help it. We just grow like fruit grows. And I'm going to throw this out there. I, I suspect that there are some people that would look at their lives or the lives of others and they go like, like how come it, there doesn't seem to be growth happening here? You know, there doesn't seem to be growth happening. Or how some people seem to grow in faith and love and other people don't seem to grow in faith and love. And I have a suspicion that it comes down to where they truly understand this grace of God. They truly understand this grace of God. Paul goes on from here and he goes 
into a, a prayer. He starts praying for the church. Here's my prayer. Here's what I pray for you. I'm going to write it down, but here's what I pray for you all the time. And, uh, and so if, if you've got a big gun apostle guy like Paul, and he's, he's writing a pr- in a letter, he's saying, here's what I pray for you, then these are going to be good prayers. Does that make sense? These are going to be, these are going to be the good prayers. And uh, he's going to write down, these are the important things that I pray for you. And so I remember years ago, I thought like, hang on, if, if Paul the Apostle is praying these prayers, then maybe I should be praying these prayers as well for myself and for, and for other people. And, I, and I've, I've grabbed a bunch of these, these prayers that Paul has prayed and, and, uh, and I pray them. I pray them for myself. I pray them for you guys. When I, you know, sometimes. Sometimes some of you come into my mind and my heart and you know, I, I try and pray for uh, different people, especially the ones that are challenging things, but I pray these things. Let's, let's just read this because I, I kind of use this both as a great prayer but also as almost like a list of making sure that I'm on track with important things in my life. Have a, have a look at this. This is Paul's prayer. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's a good one right there. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Good, eh? It's good stuff. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That's good stuff, eh? This is just good stuff. He starts off by praying that you would know what God wants for you. You know, that... that that you'd have understanding of, of God's will, your knowledge of God's will. And I mean, what, a, what just what a great prayer. I mean, how many of us find, have found over the last 12 months that we're in situations where we just need wisdom or need to know what to do in this situation? Faced with choices and in life. And, you know, there's the big things even as well as the small things. And, uh, and he's praying that the Holy Spirit will give wisdom. I've, I, I, I always pray for wisdom. And uh, here's how it usually works for me. I'm in a situation. I need help. I'm not quite sure what to do. I pray. And then maybe later that day or I'll just like come up with, I'll just, I'll, I will think of something really smart. <laughs> and I'll like in the I'm thinking like, and then I'll think for like about a minute. I'll think like, I am so smart. <laughs> and then I remember, oh no, no, hang on. I prayed for wisdom. This is a prayer that God answers. This really, this is a prayer that God answers. Pray that the Holy Spirit will give us wisdom and guidance. Paul prays about bearing fruit as we serve him. He prays about growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I know that he also talks in in Corinthians. He talks about how knowledge puffs up but love builds up. So then it's easy to think like, oh, no, maybe knowledge isn't a good thing. But here he's saying, no, knowledge of God is a great thing. I pray that you grow in the knowledge of God because as we understand and know God, we can step more confidently and more fully into all that he has for us. 
He's, he, in, his, in His love for us, His acceptance of us. We don't live in this place of uncertainty and insecurity. We can just live in this place of just leaning back into this, this, these loving arms and stepping fully into, into life as it was meant to be. He prays that we'll be strengthened with power from God. And it, it says why? Is it so we could have endurance and patience? Like he's in prison. He knows all about the need for endurance and patience. I'm pretty good at endurance. And patience, I'm really good at patience right up until when someone slows me down. Oh, hang on, so that's impatience. Oh. So I'm working on patience. We're, we're, um, we're driving up last weekend to Mangawa Heads on Friday. And uh, there was a, it was a bad car crash north of uh, Walkworth, and we were turning off to go to Mangafai Heads. And uh, I'm thinking, I heard about this crash, and I think it's okay, it's on the main road, except for the fact they, they closed State Highway 1 completely and diverted all the traffic through Mangafai Heads. And so what normally was like an hour and a quarter trip took about three hours and a quarter. And um, I'm like, I'm not that good, like, sitting in traffic. <laughs> I'm just, just on the steering wheel. I'm just like, so um, anyway, patience. So that's another good prayer. And then he prays, he says, that you would be grateful. And I know that for those of you that were here for our Finding Joy series uh, earlier in the year, that was one of the big parts of that all of the... Um, the psychologists are discovering through their research is, is that what makes people joyful is that when they are thankful. And like, I know that we go through hard times, but if we can maintain uh, you know, an attitude of gratitude in the, in the midst of that, that leads to joy. And that's why Paul, he understands all this stuff. He's saying like, I want you to be grateful. I pray that you would be grateful people. And we, can't, we should be because God has done so much for us. What a great prayer, you know. It's just a tough old world out there. You know? It's like we need wisdom, we need guidance, we need power, we need, uh, we need to be uh, growing in the knowledge of God. You know, it's like, here's what uh, N.T. Wright uh, says. He's a, a British uh, pastor and theologian and uh, great author. I'd encourage you to, if you love to read uh, books that help you to understand God and the Bible, he's, it's just, he's a wonderful, um, prolific author, and it's just wonderful stuff. But he says this, when people become Christians, God implants into them a new sense of his presence and love, his guiding and strengthening. This sense needs nurturing and developing. New Christians need to understand what's happening to them and how they must cooperate with the divine life that's gently begun to work in them. And this is the past, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Pastor, this is what he's doing. He's helping them in that journey by, by writing the letter, but by praying for them. By praying. I, I, I can't help but think that we, we underestimate just the power that gets released in the spiritual through our prayers. And then Paul gets into introducing this main theme of Colossians, and you're going to hear this come up over again over the next, uh, uh, this week and in the following three weeks. And, you know, to put it in today's language, he's basically just saying Jesus is awesome. 
Jesus is awesome. Jesus is everything. And if we're going to grow in wisdom and power and patience and endurance and love, we need to know Jesus. We need to know about him, but we need to know him. You know, in Jesus, we can understand what God has done, what he's doing. We can understand what it means to, to live in God, live for God. It's all about Jesus. And the way Paul introduces this whole thing of the awesomeness of Jesus is that he writes a poem. Uh, this next section, it's actually a, it's actually a poem. And um, like I was, I was uh, just sort of studying this, it's actually like really, really, really clever writing. But I'm not going to talk about it because it's going to start sounding like an English like class, and we don't want to we don't want we don't want to do that, do we? Who loved English at school? Okay, three, four people fine. <laughs> okay, it's good. Uh, all right. But it's a poem to pointing us to Jesus and just how supreme he is. And so listen, I'll read it out, starting at 1 verse 15, Colossians 1 verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God. I mean, even just that there, just let that just soak in for a little bit. The sun is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Whew! Jesus is everything. The firstborn of all creation. The, everything was created through him. It, He's the head of the church. He's the supreme God. He's the first to be raised from the dead. He's, he's supreme. He is everything. He's everything. Okay, I know we're not a very noisy church, but we could get a little bit of an amen on the back of that one. Like, like, and he's made this path for us to have peace with God. He's made way. This is, this is Paul saying, guys, you're getting mixed up with some of these other spiritual things, other gods and everything. Like, you've got to get this straight. It's Jesus. Jesus is everything. Throw everything away. It's all about Jesus. And that, that first thing that he is the image of the invisible God. You know, a lot of people say like, oh, isn't God angry? You know, isn't he far off? Isn't he um, just wanting to punish us? I'm just like, just hang on, hang on, hang on. Just, let's just look at Jesus. Like, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Look at his arms wide open. Look at his love and his, his invitation to come. And it was just, look at how he gave everything for others, for us. That's, 
we look at Jesus, we discover the invisible God. I'm reading a book currently called A More Christ-Like God by a theologian called Brad Jusak. And uh, it says this in this book. He says, God is like Jesus. Jesus is the message of God. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the full and faithful witness to how God is to be understood. Jesus didn't come to save us from God, but came to reveal God as Savior. Jesus came to reveal God as love. Jesus came to reconcile the world to God. And then it also goes to say that the whole world was created through Jesus. So, so next time you're out and you're like, you stop in, in just awe of a beautiful sunset, or you're you're skiing on one of those beautiful cloudless blue days and you're up a mountain and just, just drinking in this beauty. It's like Jesus made it. Jesus did that. And I know that there's you think like, hang on, but there's a lot of there's a lot of ugliness in, in the world and a lot of lot of lot of evil and you know, probably the biggest, the hardest thing in, in, in life is, is death, death itself. But like that wasn't the original plan that God had for the planet. Again, let me just, let's tell you what N.T. Wright says. He says, the living God has now acted to heal the world of the wickedness and corruption which has so radically infected it. You know, it's through the same person that made the world, you know, Jesus, is that, is that the world is being is being healed. And then Paul, just finish with this, because Paul predicts that, like as people are reading this letter, he's almost predicting that what they're gonna do, which is what we often do about lots of things, is that people are gonna be asking this question, yeah, but what's in it for me? Yeah, it's like, you know, sure Jesus is awesome, but what's in it for me? And so Paul continues, verse 21. He said, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, which we talked about in communion today, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, Established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. That's what's in it for you. Now, Jacinda and I, we lived in, uh, in England in the 1990s. I know it's, uh, it's a while ago now. Who was born after that? Okay, so this is the olden days for you guys. So, um, and when we, when we were living there, we found out that there was a, a, a garden party that you could apply to go to for that Aussies and Kiwis could go to. This was a garden party in Buckingham Palace with the Queen. So we applied. But let me just tell you about Buckingham Palace. There's a, probably a picture we could chuck up there. There's big gates, big walls, big security cameras, Guys with big hats, with guns. There's security, you know, there's police, there's... It's, you can't get anywhere near that building. You're on the outside. 
And if you try to, you get told off. Um, but here's the thing. When you get an invite, you can just rock up to the, to the side gate and you're greeted with warmth and welcome. Come on through. Come on through. You know, the royal family are looking forward to having you at their, in their garden. And uh, we'll tell you more about that whole story another day. But when you, you get an invite, the gates are open for you and you're welcomed by royalty. And that's what Paul's saying here when it comes to Jesus the King, is that you've got an invitation and you, there is no hostility from God towards you. You are welcomed in to the, you know, to the, to the eternal garden party. And, and this is what Paul is saying. You're on the inside now. As someone that chooses to be a believer and to be a follower, you're on the inside now. You are welcome. You're a friend of royalty. Jesus has given you an all-access pass. You're reconciled with God. You can approach this living and holy God with confidence and without stain because your sins have been forgiven and have been wiped off the record. And this is the incredible good news that Paul is teaching and continues to teach as he goes through this book, this, uh, this letter to this, uh, this young church. Come to God, find his love and forgiveness and stay steady in your new faith. Colossians. That's, that's what we're stepping into in these next three weeks. Can I just ask a question of you? Yeah, I know many of you, and I know many of your journeys, but I don't know all of you, but like, what, what do you want to do with this? When you hear a message like this, what do you want to do with this? You know, Jesus is, is not a myth. This is not some like, mythological story. He's not distant or far off. He's alive, and he's, he's inviting you to step into, into a life with him. And my question is this morning, is I know that for many of you it's a question that you've already answered, but do you want to step into a life with God, to know, like, have your, have your wrongs wiped away, freedom from, from shame and from, from your, your sin, peace with God, empowered by God, by your Holy Spirit, to live this life that he's calling us. Do you want that? And if you, I know we've got kids coming in and it's all part of you know, church life, it's all fine. But if you want that, could I just ask you now, just to put your hand up. Just to put your hand up. Cool. Is there anyone else this morning? Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else this morning? Why don't we all stand together? What do we stand?
I know some hands went up now, but could I just ask all of us? I know for many of, many of you, you have made that commitment, but what a great opportunity just to say yes to that again. Just to say yes to that again. And so, why don't we just take a moment? The band's just probably going to um, start up a little, a little tune there. And, um, why don't we just take a moment? Just in, the, in, the, in this beautiful space where God's people are together. We've heard the, the richness of God's word this morning and uh, this wonderful inspiration and, and, uh, and truth that, uh, that Paul has written to the church. And let's each one of us respond and say yes to him once again. God, I just thank you for the, the people that are here this morning, God. Thank you for that, for each one of us, that you have, you have called us to you. You have invited us into this life that is, is abundant and full and eternal. We thank you for, for the forgiveness of sins, for the, for the wiping uh, away of, of shame and, uh, and guilt, God. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, God, and I pray that you would Pour your Spirit upon us again this morning, God. That your Spirit would come and enable us to step into all that you have for us. That would give us endurance and patience and wisdom and, and, uh, and cause our hearts to be hearts of gratitude and thankfulness, God. written down Paul's prayer here from the Message Bible. I'm going to pray that over us this morning and then we're going to finish with singing that song again. What a beautiful name. God, give us wise minds and spirits attuned to your will and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which you work, God. God, may everyone here live well for the Master, making him proud of us as we work hard in his orchard. God, as we learn more and more how you work, may we learn how to do your work. We pray that we'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting our teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. Give us your strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. And we will give joyful thanks to you, the Father, who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. Amen.